Hello and welcome to the Pulp Diction Podcast. Uh, it's been a minute. <laughs> it's been a minute. Uh, and I do not have a guest today, in fact. Um, I, uh, it's just been too long since I talked to you all about the NBA, and I felt, uh, felt the need to share some takes, because I think we're at kind of the point in the NBA season where you kind of know who everyone is and what all the storylines are, and yeah, there'll be some late pushes, yeah, there'll be some late changes, but I think it's really start it's really time to start looking at how the playoffs are going to shake out and how the awards are going to shake out. And, and I just want to kind of look back over what's been a kind of crazy NBA season. Um, and I guess to start, I want to talk about some of the things I whiffed on in the preview, me and Nick whiffed on in the preview. Um, I guess for starters and what's been kind of the main NBA talking point past couple weeks is, is the Lakers and what the hell's going on there. Um, I think people have kind of lost their minds over this, in part because LeBron has been a fixture of the finals since, I think, the 2010 finals, which was Pierce Garnett, Allen and Rondo versus Kobe and Powell. So I think that was the last finals LeBron was not in. He went all four years he was with the Heat. He went all four years he was back with the Cavs. Um, and so now to kind of compare that eight-year run to this year where he's not even going to make the playoffs. Um, and now they're kind of, they're not tanking-tanking, but they're quote-unquote managing LeBron's minutes the rest of the season. Um, it uh, It's just shocking. It's kind of a shocking change. And I think what I and a lot of other people thought this season was going to be was just if LeBron had to, he'd flip into hero mode to compensate for this roster. And through maybe 30, 35 games when they were sitting in fourth place, you know, that's kind of what was happening. Um, You know, it was a flawed team from the start uh, with not a lot of shooting around LeBron and really young guys and kind of weird, like either veterans who were just there on one-year deals who were kind of outcast the past couple years of their careers uh, and then young guys who have never been expected to do anything meaningful uh, who are now on a team that's expected to contend for the finals. And, you know, I think through all that, they were in a good place until LeBron got hurt. And when he got hurt, what it really exposed was that the team didn't have anything they were good at. Um, the team's not a good shooting team. It's not a good penetration team. It's not a particularly good defensive team. It was like fine. It's maybe 12th in the league or something at that point. Um, and I think the young guys really kind of wilted under the microscope of, am I going to get traded for Anthony Davis? And, you know, that's not only understandable, that's what, how anyone would react. Um, you know, I think that happened to Rondo, in fact, when he was on the Celtics, uh, many years back, he signed a a team friendly extension and Danny Ainge was dangling him in trade talks like three months later. Um, so I think all those things affected the Lakers. And then I think when LeBron came back, yes, he wasn't, he was a hundred percent in terms of, he probably didn't think he was going to re-injure it, but he was not a hundred percent in shape. And I think this is a concept that uh, at least American sports fans and media don't really appreciate is that there's a difference between being like medically like, okay, you, you should go back in the games now because you're not going to re-injure it versus like, oh, like I'm clicking again. Um, 
And I think you see this a lot with, with muscle injuries. Uh, it's really hard to like trust planning off that leg again. Um, and I know like we, I think we're least educated about it in football where I remember, I think two years ago, Odell was kind of rushing back from an ankle sprain. Everyone's like, Oh, well, he'll be ready for week one. He'll be fine this year. And I was like, no, this was, you know, a really bad ankle sprain. It bent inward. Like I could see this really lingering. Um, and, you know, I think he ended up getting a season-ending injury to that ankle later in the season. But I think what it shows is that, you know, it's so much of this is not just, they're not just kind of following commands or pressing buttons here. They're, it's a, a really hard thing to do to be this good at basketball, stupidly enough. And it requires a lot of rhythm and a lot of comfort in the system. And I think even for someone like LeBron James... If you come back after six weeks and, yeah, you're medically cleared, you're not going to have the same feel, the same touch, and you're not going to have the same physical explosiveness. Um, and I think he he mentioned in the media he was like 280 pounds when he came back, which I think is a lot heavier than he's wanted to be at this stage of his career. So I think all those things didn't help the Lakers. Um, but, you know, kind of watching them keel over and die the past <laughs> couple of games where it's just it, like they've kind of really given up hope. Um, it really makes you question, you know, everything about the organization. And it seems like, you know, Luke Walton's going to be out after this season. And I, he's gotten some, some people in the media who are saying like, oh, like he's done a pretty good job. Like whatever, he installed this system. They were doing better last year. But I actually think it's a good move for the Lakers to fire Luke. Um, mostly because... He's just not a good fit with how I'd want to build around LeBron. Um, and I think this goes all the way back up to Magic and, and Rob Palenka, who I would argue it's it's more their fault than anybody's that this team is where it is. Um, I think, you know, whatever you can say about not landing the second star, I think what the Bucks have shown us this year is that you don't need two otherworldly talents. What you need is a a team you need a roster and a coach and a style that complement a great player. Um, you look at the Nuggets. They're a great example of this, too. If you think Jokic is more talented at this point in his career than LeBron, you're crazy. Uh, but what they've done is they've surrounded him with pieces that make sense. You know, Gary Harris, Jamal Murray, uh, Paul Millsap, kind of all their core players are really good at cutting off of Jokic's post entries and they run the offense for Jokic. He's averaging, I think almost eight assists now a game, which is insane for like a true big ass center. Um, and that's the style they play. They shifted up their defense to better account for who he is. And, you know, you look at the bucks, everyone, their roster is built to compensate for the fact that Giannis can't shoot. Um, I think I was looking at the stats. Giannis is shooting like 25% from three, <laughs> Which should, you know, teams should sag way off them, and that should be a real problem. And what they've done is they've stacked the roster with guys who can shoot. Um, so he's out there with, you know, even if they go bigger, he's out there with Ilyasova and Brooke Lopez. He's out there with, you know, Brogdon, Middleton, guys who not only will take threes, but are good at hitting threes and who need to be covered out there. Um, and you compare that with the Lakers, and I, I get what LeBron was angling for when he said, you know, coming into the season, he wanted more ball handlers on his team. But that doesn't mean you make every spot on the roster someone who needs the ball and can't shoot. Uh, like, going on to this team, they already had in Lonzo and Ingram, 
Two guys who you, who should be initiating offense. Like, that's what they do best. Lonzo kind of only makes sense if he's initiating offense. And if you actually watch Brandon Ingram, I know he's 6'11", but he's at his best when he's the one holding the ball. Um, he can hit a corner three, but he's not some guy you just put off in the corner and kick to for shots. He's someone who should be touching the ball a lot. So between those two guys and LeBron already, I would say you're at capacity for ball handlers. Um, Because that's, you know, those three guys are all going to be playing 30 plus minutes. There's going to be two of them on the floor all the time. Like, you don't need more ball handlers. Instead, they add Rondo. They add Stevenson. They, They add Michael Beasley, who like can only like be useful if he's holding the ball. And they just make no sense in the context of what they already had around them. Um, To say nothing of guys like Kuzma and, um, well, really just Kuzma, who lets it fly every time he touches it, so he's he's not exactly going to be getting the ball back to LeBron to initiate offense. So it was kind of like a weird dynamic where, yeah, the ball was moving on that team, but kind of all of them are guys who want to hold it, survey, and kind of do something creative. And if you have five of those guys out there at once, it's not going to work unless you just have pristine shooting and shot making, which they don't. So that really never made sense to me. Um, And then, you know, when they try and add shooters to the roster, they add guys like Caldwell Pope, who's only signed because he's in LeBron's agency. Um, And they trade Zubats for basically Mike Muscala, who, like if you watched any Philly games this year, sucks. So really just everything they did besides landing LeBron was terrible, in my opinion. Um, And, you know, there's a world where the Anthony Davis talks go well and it's LeBron and Davis and they're probably at least in the five or six seed and, you know, we don't really care about this. And there's also a world where this summer they swing that deal and it's all fine. Um, But... I guess where where I stand with this is I don't think that with all the guys they have right now, they can be successful. Um, I think that if LeBron hadn't gotten hurt, I think he's someone who's got a very meticulous plan about kind of building his strength to the playoffs. I think if he hadn't gotten hurt, they'd still be fine. I don't think they would have gotten out of a first or second round series, but, you know... LeBron would have made it really, really tough for someone to beat them in a series. Um, but I think that kind of as these things started to snowball, the young guys really just kind of faltered, and I don't blame them. That's this is a it's not something they are really equipped to deal with. They're like twenty one, and they've never been under this kind of pressure and this kind of scrutiny. And I think what the Lakers need to do is completely revamp this roster. Is turn a couple, maybe three ball handlers into another guy who can really score uh, alongside LeBron, someone like a Davis, someone like, I mean, they might want to throw a lot of money at Tobias Harris Um, because they need, what they need basically is they need to kind of recreate the offenses that Cleveland had around LeBron because as much as we make fun of those teams and as much as like, as bad as their defense was, when they kind of got rolling, that was a top three offense with LeBron and three and a half guys who could shoot. Um, so that that's kind of how I feel about the Lakers. Um, and I guess just one more point I want to make on that front is I'm just, 
I'm so not ready to say that it's over for LeBron. Um, I think I heard that in a couple podcasts, maybe just the Bill Simmons one, I don't know. But like the idea that he's at a different point in his career to me is really stupid. Um, what I think is actually happening here is that he got hurt for the first time in his career. And yeah, he's at a different point in his career in the sense that he can get hurt now, apparently. Um, this is the first time he missed like significant time in the NBA. But I mean, if you look... 10 months ago. To me, the run he made in the playoffs with Cleveland last year is the best I've ever seen basketball played. Um, And just top to bottom, what he was able to do offensively, kind of running offense for 42 minutes. Defensively, he wasn't doing a lot, but he was doing enough. And just... The kind of the fear around those games, like he just keep it close, keep it close, keep it close, and the last five minutes of the game were just his. And I think he averaged like thirty four points, nine rebounds, nine assists, was shooting like fifty five percent, getting to the line ten times a game. I mean, just really like kind of unbeatable. And you know the the J.R. Smith thing in game one of the finals is really funny, but you know. LeBron had something like a 52-10-10 in that game. And if JR just goes right back up with it and gets fouled or just does really anything but dribble off the clock, like we could be really looking at a situation or we could have been looking at a situation where the Warriors have to ask themselves, good God, like can anyone beat this guy? And they probably would have. That that Cleveland team was awful. But, you know, I, I think in part because of that gaffe JR had and in part because of, you know, how LeBron played the rest of the series and maybe he was hurt, maybe he wasn't. I don't know. He wore a cast after game four. Um, You know, it's kind of been forgotten, but that run was incredible. And the idea that he's now just at a different point 10 months later is ridiculous to me. I think he's absolutely someone who next year and probably the year after still can lead his team to a finals and to a championship. And what he really needs is... Apart from changing the roster, I think they also need to change the style. Um, and this is what I was talking about a little earlier with Luke Walton. Uh, you know, I, me thinking it's time for him to go. LeBron is 35, 34. I, I don't know how old he is, but he's old. <laughs> and he's, he's not unathletic, and he hasn't lost a step. But I would say he's lost 10% of his stamina, 15% of his stamina, which means... I don't want him running up the floor and kicking the ball to someone else to make decisions. I want him to slow down, walk the ball up, and leverage the mismatches he creates to get wide-open shots for people. Um, I think the team you want to build around LeBron is one where he's surrounded by guys who can shoot and defend at high levels, Um, and it doesn't need to be Superstar X and Superstar Y. What it needs to be is... Guys like a Chris Middleton. Guys, I mean, even guys like Tobias Harris who, like, can score and can shoot and can defend. Like, I mean, you look at some of the lineups the Lakers have out there. Um, I think I was watching Lakers Nuggets to see him get, you know, past Michael in scoring. And the lineup when they pulled LeBron was, like, it was, like, Lance, Rondo, uh... Mo Wagner, like Alex Caruso was in there, and then like, I mean, just like, like just such dregs, like just 
I, I, I can't even remember who was out there. And this is a team, like, you can't put that lineup out there with guys who would be the ninth men on any other Western team and be surprised when your team completely sucks. And I think, you know, defensively, they're somewhere around 15th now. They were better before. To have a bottom 10 offense with LeBron James is really embarrassing. And I think really reflects poorly on the team building and the team strategy. Um, so that's what I do. I I really don't want them to hire the coaches they've been talking about hiring, which are basically Ty Lue and, and Jason Kidd and uh, Mark Jackson, I think all of whom... I mean, Mark Jackson at least can kind of coach defense or did with the Warriors, but I don't think any of those guys are good coaches. Um, but anyway, I've talked long enough about the Lakers. Uh, but I, I don't think this is over for LeBron. They'll make another run at Davis. I remain optimistic they can get him because I think just they're the most desperate bidder. But, you know, even if they don't get him, they don't have to get superstars. What they need are competent guys um, and guys with matching skill sets, and they need to play slower, in my opinion. Um, so that kind of handles the Lakers. That was the biggest thing I got wrong, honestly. Um, I don't think I was that high on Denver coming into the season. Uh, so I was pretty wrong on that. They're, they're second in the West. Um, you know... I, I'll talk about this later when I talk about who I think should be MVP, but, I mean, just what a year from Jokic, and that's really the only reason I can point to that they've been they've been solid. I mean, their organization's done a great job of, like, rounding out those five, six, seven, eight, nine guys. You know, I probably would have argued that Gary Harris was their second-best player coming into the year, and he started off that way and, and has largely missed the season. Um, I think from, like, game 20 on, he's been a spot contributor and they've just gotten so much out of, you know, guys like Monte Morris, guys like Malik Beasley, guys like Tory Craig, that <laughs> would be like the third best player on the Lakers or, um, you know, like the best player on the Bulls basically. Uh, and, you know, it really just goes to show that there's kind of, and this, the Bucks have this a lot too. There's a multiplicative effect of having, solid guys on your roster all the way down like yeah it's great to win the the best player matchup but if you have a better two through six guy than the other team that can almost that helps probably more than having a better star um so i was wrong about that and you know i i think some stuff around the eight seed we probably predicted wrong too but that's not too important um i think what to shift gears, what we really got right, though, at least what I got right coming in was I was very high on Milwaukee. Um, and I'm, I'll am i save this for the end of the pod, but I remain very high on Milwaukee, obviously. They're, they've got like a nine-point differential right now, which is I don't think anyone besides the Warriors has been at that level um, in the past five, ten years. Uh, maybe, maybe a stray San Antonio team did that. But um, it, the, the improvement from someone like Jason Kidd, who was coaching Jabari to shoot more long twos, who had them running that ridiculous trapping defense, um, and who really was just playing weird lineups and, and kind of no offense. Um, the switch from him, and by the way, I'm going to laugh so hard if he's the next coach of the Lakers, because he was awful. The switch from him to someone like Coach Bud, who... I was really campaigning the Bulls to make a run at signing. 
um, who was just kind of toiling away with a, a cripplingly bad Hawks roster. Um, so to get Coach Bud, who you know coached that Atlanta team to 60 wins, uh, who then made that Atlanta team the following year a top two defense, uh, it's just been like night and day doesn't do it justice. It's just like everyone on the roster is better. Um, and I think, especially now that Middleton's kind of got his legs under him in this system, they're scary. Um, you know, Giannis is, you could make the case he's the best player in the league now. Um, I still think do or die game, I'd, I'd take Durant or LeBron over him because I just don't think Giannis has had those reps yet. But in terms of, like, the advantage having Giannis night to night is... Uh, it's as big as any in the league. And, you know, they just, they all play hard. They all know exactly what they're supposed to do. Um, and the team just makes sense. Like, Brogdon's kind of the perfect point guard to have off of someone like Giannis. Middleton's a great guy to have there. You know, they're long. They add a ton defensively. And they just, they hit shots when Giannis kicks it to them. They're good at secondary creating. They're fine taking eight shots if that's the way the matchup works. Um, and then, Brooke Lopez has just been, he's been hitting threes, which I kind of knew he could do, but he's been like solid defensively. Like he'll, he'll protect the rim when, uh, when he's near there. And I think the defensive benefit of having two rim protectors, having Brooke Lopez and Giannis out there at the same time is big. And to be honest, the the thing I kind of missed with them is how good Bledsoe's been. Um, I kind of thought he was little head Casey, a, a bad offensive player, a spotty effort player, and he's really come into form under Bud. Um, and it should make sense. It should make sense to people because you know Bud did that with Jeff Teague. He did that with Dennis Schroeder for a time. And Bledsoe is as talented as those guys, and and a lot more so talented defensively. Um, so just kind of across the board, they've been really impressive. Uh, I remember saying I thought they could really vie for the Eastern crown, and I think that's dead on right now. Um, I think Philly, we were kind of right about them having a weird team. Um, and I know that they've now added Butler and, uh, Tobias Harris, but I think the issue with that team is if you're going to win a title with those four guys as your best guys, you're going to have to make your bread defensively. Um, because... Guys like Simmons, Embiid, and Butler especially are considered elite players because, yeah, they have this offensive talent, but also are tremendous defenders. Um, and I think asking a team that's young to win on defense is always going to be difficult just because they have a third of the NBA reps that you know someone like the Warriors have, right? So... I think that's a real flaw in their team building right now is that I think they need to be a great defensive team to win and they're just not old enough to be right now. I also think that foundationally um, Simmons and Embiid don't make sense together. I I really don't see this working long term. Um, Simmons will get offered the five-year extension and whatever, but I I just don't... I don't think either complements the other. I think Embiid... You want shooting around him so that his post-ups can really put guys on islands or if they double kick to wide open people. And you'd want to play a little slower, I think, so that you can get your offense set and your defense set kind of around that. 
with Simmons, it's the opposite. You you also want shooting around him, and Embiid can hit threes, but he's like a 30% shooter, so that's not really spacing. Um, but with Simmons, you want to play really, really fast. You want him ripping rebounds down and sprinting, and you want to put out this array of really fast, you know, good shooting guys around him because I think the most dangerous thing Ben Simmons can do for you is rip down a really contested rebound and just book up court and whip it to an open guy in, in semi-transition. Um, and he's got a lot of growing to do. I, I was kind of expecting a little more offensive fluidity from him. There's still just nothing beyond dunking right now. Um, but, you know, the passing is still incredible, and they're going to be fun, and they're going to be really tough outs. They've got, you know, guys like, Redick and, and Butler to an extent, you know, they, they're veterans and they'll bring some sort of presence to a team that, that really has a lot of talent. So it's definitely possible for them to come out of the East. I just don't see it. Um, the Raptors, I said before the year, I thought could really make a run at it. I thought that people were underestimating how much better Kawhi was than DeRozan. I think all that tracks. Um, and I kind of think they are who we thought they were. Uh, and We'll see what Lowry brings in the playoffs. He's always kind of a wild card there, um, and we'll see. Uh, we'll see how much they can get out of the Gasol Ibaka. Uh, is is Valanciunas still on that team? No, he's traded. Gasol Ibaka, and then I feel like they have one other front court guy. I guess Siakam. Yeah, um, we'll see what they can get out of those guys. Ibaka is a center now, and playing him and Gasol together, unless there's a really weird matchup, is not going to make any sense. Um, and if you look at them going against someone like, someone like Philly, like you're asking Ibaka to chase Simmons in the perimeter, like that's not his strength at all. Uh, maybe you play Ibaka and he just sits off Simmons and stands at the rim, uh, and you know, uh, Gasol bangs with Embiid, but I think short of that, they'd make almost no sense together. And then, um, to say nothing about if those two are on the court together, where do you put Pascal Siakam? He's really a power forward. He does great operating in the post in space. He has like these really speedy post moves that are really tough for guys to guard and just makes, to me, he's easily the most improved player in the league. And he's really, if you haven't had the chance to watch him play, he's kind of infectious and he just zips around. He's hitting some corner threes. He gives you really good defense. He's sprinting the floor. Um, he, between him and Danny Green and Lowry, there's a great culture of effort on that team um, that I think will really help them. And then you've got the Celtics, who are just this complete wild card. Uh, and none of us in the preview saw this happening, but I don't think anyone around the league really saw it happening, um, where they kind of cratered the way they did. Um, they, they're they very up and down, you know, that, there's they're bad for three games and everyone's like what's up with the Celtics Kyrie's going to the Knicks blah 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 and then they go into Golden State win by 30 you know at this point they kind of are who they are which is a team that can be greater than the sum of their parts some nights and less than the sum of their parts others um and I still feel the way I felt about them the beginning of the season which is they don't have the best player in the game against the great teams. Um, Kyrie is really fun, and he's definitely a guy you can just throw the ball to and be like, please score, and have everyone just go stand far away. But 
he's not as good as Embiid. He's not as good as Kawhi Leonard. He's nowhere near as good as Giannis. Um, I watched a Celtics Trailblazers game, and Damian Lillard, someone who I'd say is, you know, maybe generously like top eight in the NBA, was much better than him, uh, which is a problem. Uh, but they have, you know, with Stevens and with kind of that depth of skill sets, I think this is a team that could be much better in the playoffs than they were in the regular season. And for whatever reason, they have Philly's number. Um, I think because someone like Simmons can really be exploited by a coach like Stevens. And, you know, I think if that's the matchup that Philly draws, it's going to be really tough for Philly to get past that. And right now it seems like the Pacers are clinging to that 3C by about half a game, but honestly with 18 to go, I'd be shocked if one of the Celtics or Sixers doesn't pass them and, and kind of keep it so that we're getting the semifinals in the Eastern Conference of uh Sixers, Raptors, and Celtics, Bucks. Um, but so that's kind of where the East shook out for me. And you know, the West Warriors at the top. Everyone else in the middle seems still to be about about what's going on. Uh, so I think that kind of covers what I got right and wrong about the beginning of the season. Um, and yeah, this is a really free flowing pod, so (laughs) sorry if, uh, I'm just floating, but I think now I want to talk about MVP and then I want to talk about the title. Um, so I think this is going to be a really fun MVP debate because I think you can make a credible case for four guys um, none of whom play on the best team in the Warriors. And if you look at Curry's numbers, uh, it's just, like, if you look at his numbers and their record, there's a real, you could honestly probably talk me into a Curry case too, but because of the kind of freedom he has to have a bad game and not have it impact the team, I, I kind of can't get behind a most valuable player vote for him. Um, so I think there's four credible cases to be made, and I think... With each guy, there's something they're bringing to the table that you're just not really seeing on other teams. Um, And so I think the four guys are, in no particular order, Paul George, Harden, Giannis, and Nikola Jokic, I'd put right in there. And I think if I had to rank them, I think i put Paul George fourth. Um, and I think a lot of people are penciling him in as third, and he's had just an incredible year. He's putting up about 29 a game, 28 and a half a game, uh, on like 40% from three and like 45, 44% from the field. Um, he's getting you some rebounds, some assists, a secondary creator, and he's, you know, I, I think with Kawhi being sometimes not on his game some nights, I think Paul George is now the best perimeter defender in the league. Um, so it's it's really kind of an incredible skill set to have, right? Someone who is absolutely going to lock down the other team's best player, someone who's stretching the floor for you, someone who's getting to the rim, you know, getting to the line however many times a game Paul George is, and someone who, this is like a classic like stats versus eye test thing. Paul George is just like a game winner at the end of games. Like I think there have been a couple times this year where the Thunder are down like one or two, and 
every other team in the league is just fouling there, and Paul George just takes the ball from someone. Um, it, it's just the year he's having is incredible. It's by far his best year, and it, it really makes me feel better for Hayward that, you know, it's possible to have your leg completely fucked up and and come back and still have a year better than you've ever had. Um, but I've got him fourth because... So the Thunder are 39 and 25 now, maybe 40 and 25. They're in third in the West. But, you know, for all the things Paul George is giving you, I think that team still really benefits from what Russell Westbrook gives them. And I was early, early, early on the Westbrook is overrated train. Um, I think during the 2012 finals, (laughs) I watched a lot of that Thunder run. I was making the case that Harden was better than Westbrook, um, you know, six years before I ever recorded a podcast, so don't believe me if you don't want to. But, you know, I think with Westbrook, the thing always was, okay, he can't really shoot off the ball. Okay, he's not efficient. You know, okay, he's going to take some dumb shots, like all this stuff. But now I think that the public has kind of come around to that point of view, and his horrific shooting season doesn't help. Um, I think we've all now lost sight of the things he does that no one else does that help a team. Um, I don't think anyone in the NBA plays harder. Maybe Pascal, but like just the energy. And I think, you know, for a guy like Paul George, I think Durant really benefited from this too. The energy that Westbrook brings lifts up his teammates and just makes them better. Um, I think if you look at Steven Adams' field goal percentage and the, the buckets he gets, so much of that comes from stuff Westbrook does. Um, and I just think that energy isn't something you can count. And yeah, so if he's missing one more shot a game or, you know, his instead of making, th- you know, four of 11 threes, he's making three of 11. Okay, that hurts. Like, that's three points a game you're losing, but you're still getting all this stuff from him. And I think it lets Paul George really be comfortable and just do what he wants to do. I think Westbrook's done a fantastic job of letting Paul George be Paul George and letting him thrive in that role. And, you know, I think if I compare that to Jokic, who I've got third, Jokic's team has played better than the Thunder have. Um, Jokic is putting up equally kind of absurd stats. He's at something like 20-something points a game with, like, eight assists and nine rebounds. Um and, you know, even apart from the assists, just Jokic's inside-outside, brilliant passing, kind of the fact that no one else can pick him up in transition in the center because he'll just take them to the post and work them. He messes with the other team more than Paul George does. And if you look at the guys around Jokic, Jamal Murray is hot one game and cold for eight. Gary Harris was hurt all year. Um, you know... They've randomly played Mason Plumley in there with him, which for me disqualifies Malone from any Coach of the Year discussion. And even if they do, Jokic just makes it work. Jokic will space out to three. He'll kick into Plumley. They'll do little two-man post passes. Um, to have a better team than the Thunder with the rotating cast he's had. And yeah, I think the Monte Morrises and Malik Beasley's are good players, but I also think that without Jokic, it would be a different situation for them. Um, I, I really think he deserves more credit offensively than he's been getting. Um, and if you look at the team stats, Denver is a top five offense. Um, 
And, you know, I think being the centerpiece of a top five offense uh, with a rotating cast of characters around you is really impressive. And they've been an okay defense. I really thought they'd get exposed there. I thought Jokic would get kind of creamed on the pick, high pick and roll. And, you know, it hasn't been a calamity. <laughs> I think that's a sign of some good coaching from Malone, but also some real growth from Jokic. So I've got him third. Um, and and that's mainly a play on the Nuggets being better and no one being as good in the Nuggets as Westbrook is. Um, second and first, I think this is where the debate really gets spicy. I think the fact that Harden unsunk his team single-handedly like he carried the Rockets without Capella or Paul so that's like 70 million in cap sitting injured um and like it was basically him a guy up from the G League Gerald Green Austin Rivers and like like they couldn't even play Nene 24 minutes a game because he's too old so they'd play like like they just signed Fareed who's like a 10th man on the Nets um the fact that that team won games is incredible and, yeah, he was hogging the ball. <laughs> like, he was shooting, scoring, like, over 40 a game, like, 10 straight games. But that's what he had to do. Um, and, you know, my main criticism of that Russell Westbrook season when he won MVP was not that he was hogging it. I'm not inherently opposed to that. It's that they had, like, the 20th best offense. So it's like, okay, like, you know, I get that you don't have a lot of guys out there, but it's not like this is doing great. And the flip side of that is that Houston is the second-best offense in the league right now behind Golden State, efficiency-wise. And what that says to me is that Harden basically threw the team on his back and played exceptional offense. You know, being just under Golden State is like being the best offense any other year. Um, and, you know, yeah, he's not a great defender, but he does get attacked a lot. Um which I think kind of explains, I think right when Paul came back, they he slumped a bit at least. I just think he was gassed. Like I think it's exhausting to run an entire offense for 40, 38 minutes a game and then get picked on all game by the defense, on defense, which is what I would do if I was playing the Rockets. I'd put Harden in every pick and roll. I'd make him chase his man around screens. I'd just try and tire him out. Um, so, you know, I think for him to do what he did was incredible. He's averaging, like, 37 points a game still. Like, you know, maybe eight or nine assists. Um, And, yeah, you know, when they get to the playoffs, it's not going to serve them to play that way. But I think to have that kind of, like, high-volume season and still have a good offense is incredible. And I think 37 a game is just, 36, 37 a game is just not something you see even every five years. It's like, I don't think anyone's done it since Kobe. Um, and you've got him, and then you've got Giannis, and Giannis is not as good offensively. He's much better defensively. He's, like, kind of equally unguardable, though. Like, <laughs> I think if the Bucks were committed to building an, MB- an MVP campaign for Giannis, like, Giannis could go out and get, like, 35, 15, and 8 every night if they just literally ran through him every time. But instead they're winning games, which we should favor. And they have the best record in the league. I think they're 49 and something. Uh, They are 49 and 16. Uh, They've got a plus 9.2 win differential. They're on pace to get about 60 wins. And, yeah, they have Middleton. I can't remember if he was an all-star or not. Oh, he was this year, but that's because the East sucks. 
But in terms of who's a top 25 player in the league, it's only Giannis on that team. And I think to have a historically good team, and they're like third in offense and defense, and they've got a plus nine point differential. Like they're historically good. To have a historically good team and be the only top 25 player in the league on your team, to me, like, and then he's putting up the insane stats, and he's shooting, like, you know, like, almost 60% in the paint and averaging 17 points per game at the rim and playing great defense. To me, it's, it's, his case is also unimpeachable. So I think between him and Harden, you know, I don't know. I think you have to really sit down and decide how much you want to value defense. Um, yes, it's half the game, but I think, I think it's harder to provide elite offense than it is to provide elite defense, and it's harder to find elite offense guys. And the point I make about offense versus defense in the NBA is it takes one guy to score and it takes five guys to defend. So <laughs> even if I have Kawhi Leonard, okay, and he gets to knock out my best guy, so let's say we're playing the Warriors, and Kawhi takes Durant. I can put Durant in the corner and run a high screen with Curry. And if your second best defender isn't that good, that's still, like, what's Kawhi really doing on that play? Whereas if I have James Harden, I, I know I get to run the pick and roll with him. So I think who you pick in that sense really comes down to your philosophy on basketball. I think if the Bucks close the season somewhere around 61-62 wins, it's really tough not to vote for Giannis at the same time. Harden's going to average 37. <laughs> so, you know, I think there's enough kind of Harden, like, people are kind of tired of him. Like, I was watching, like, Kassan Minaj's show, which is awesome, by the way, um, uh, Patriot Act on Netflix. And even he had a joke in there about Harden, like, traveling, right? So, you know, like, the fact that Harden, like, Harden's style of play is, people are so tired of it, like, it's in pop culture now. I think that'll hurt his MVP case. So does the fact that he won last year. Um, but at the same time, I think everyone, that stretch is better than anything Giannis did. And I think if Harden closes strong, and as a, like he had a 58-point night a couple nights ago, if he closes with a, you know, one or two more games like that, I think the award will go to him. And it's not a case of the Rockets being a bad team. I think they're going to end up with somewhere around like 53, 54 wins. Um, it's just going to be kind of shocking to see Giannis lead, you know, a team to 62, 63 wins and not get MVP. But I think the vote's going to be close. Like, I really think this is going to be a contested one. And, you know, I, you know, anyway, I just think it's fascinating. Um, I'll, I'll wrap up because I've done 40 minutes of just me talking, which is hilarious. I'll wrap up by saying, um, talking a little bit about the finals. Um, it's weird because we kind of haven't had a good debate about who's going to win the title in over two years. Uh, because, you know, when the Warriors added Durant, everyone's like, okay, this is over. And they went, whatever, 15-1 and one in the playoffs. And then last year, everyone said it was over. The Rockets take them to seven, but... And the Warriors had to come back from 10 down at half in game seven. But <laughs> there was still kind of never, like, fear they were going to lose. Even though, like, you know... If Curry or Durant goes really cold in that game, like, they lose. Like, their margin of error was really tight. But we haven't had a great debate about who's going to win the title in over two years. That being... And we're not now. Like, everyone still kind of assumes the Warriors have it. 
I'm still concerned, I would say, and I still think there's a real chance they don't win it. Um, I'm not quite at the point where I'm going to pick someone else, but I'm close. And I think if I was betting on it, I'd toss in a couple bets on my favorite East Conference team. Um, Because I think by adding Cousins... Yeah, Cousins is, like, better than, whatever, Kevon Looney. But they kind of added his baggage, right? Like, Cousins is a multi-time all-star. Even if he's only making $5 million a year, he's kind of that guy. And with that, there comes pressure to involve him, right? And Cousins, if you need someone to go on a team without a lot of options and get you 25 and pass well out of it, Cousins is way better at that than anyone else making $5 million a year. But if you need someone to kind of be efficient in a small role, so think like what Chris Bosh had to do on the Heat, right, but even smaller because you already have Curry, Durant, Clay on this team. I don't think Cousins is a great guy for that. <laughs> like I think he's, if he's taking 12, 13 shots a game, maybe three are wide open dunks because someone had to double Curry, but if 10 of those are like post-ups or threes, like those are not good shots for a historically great offense. And defensively, you know, at his athletic peak, Cousins was someone you could kind of pick on defensively because he was a little erratic with habits and whatever. But now, like coming off an Achilles tear, like I I think he's really vulnerable to be picked on. Um, and, you know, I think if the Warriors are going to get where they need to go, Cousins might have to be a 10-minute-a-game guy. Like, if I'm the Rockets, and they're they're really great at this, and I kind of love when they do this, they're going to put him in pick-and-roll every play. Not most plays, not when they need a bucket. Every single play, one of Paul or Harden will put him in a pick-and-roll. Um, you know, Steven Adams, if they're going against the Thunder, will just really set hard screens on him and go bang at the rim and try and put Boogie in an uncomfortable spot. You know, I, I just, I don't know what he's going to be like in the playoffs. And I don't know how the team is going to handle politically not going to him. And, you know, I still think their best lineup is Iguodala in for Cousins. And I think they do too. Um, and Cousins is nice to have, right, if you meet Philly in the finals. And you probably don't want Draymond Green banging with Embiid for 36 minutes. But... Uh, you know, I don't know what we're getting out of Iguodala. I mean, last year he was hurt for that Houston series because he had back spasms. And, you know, what if they try and go to him for 34 minutes, he does that two games in the third game, he's sore as balls. Like, I don't know what they're getting out of that guy at this point. And I just think the team has kind of been there enough times that they don't feel the fire anymore. Like, they'll go down 15 to someone and not really care. And, you know, I think... The right team, whether it's in the finals or in the conference semifinals or conference finals, is going to catch them and really make them uncomfortable. And I think the fact that Durant's leaving, I think the fact that Clay's a free agent, though I really expect him to stay, I think the fact that you know Cousins might not be happy with this role, I don't know how that's going to work there. And you know, a team that in 2015 was strength in numbers and really their best asset was their culture. That's kind of my concern for them now. And, you know, 
we'll see who comes out of the East, but I kind of think it's going to be, it's going to either be a clicking Celtics team, a really sneaky, dangerous Raptors team, or a kind of a Goliath in Milwaukee. And I think any of those gives the Warriors a really tough series, especially if the Warriors just punt, you know, one of their games because they don't take their games, their team seriously. Um, so I'm I'm excited for the MVP discussions. I'm excited for, you know, see how this season ends. I'm bummed we don't get LeBron in the playoffs, but at the same time, I think we're going to get a good finals. Um, or I think the Warriors go out before the finals. So I'm, I'm just really excited for that. But um, anyway, that's all I have. Thank you for listening to me. Uh, let me know if you like the solo format, because uh, I think the reason I haven't been doing a lot of pods is kind of getting other people involved. Take some time and some negotiation uh so if you have my number and you like this send me a text um i guess if you don't like it too you can text me i you know, <laughs> i'll take all feedback but um yeah good good talking to you guys again take care and uh excited to see the playoffs coming i think it's gonna be soon all right peace <laughs>